Hey, if you have your Bible with you this morning, if you'll turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We've been going through the Gospel of John. And as we're doing this, uh, we have taken our little bit of a pause here to take, take our time with this handling of with Lazarus and the death of Lazarus. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up today as well as we do this. And so this chapter, what we have in finishing, because we did verses 1 through 27, there's verses 28 through 57 to finish here, to finish out chapter 11. And I'm going to use the SWAT team analogy. Um, you know, when you have a building to clear in the movies, you see the team, they take it room by room and they yell clear, right? And then they move to the next room and then they flash bang, kick the doors, all that, and they clear it. That's going to be the best way to handle this text going through chapter 11. We're going to take room by room, scene by scene, clear some things, make sure you're catching things and understanding things as we go this and as we understand it. And then we'll, at the very end, we'll take the takeaway. Um, there are three takeaways from the text. So let's do that, shall we? John chapter 11, let's begin in verse 28 here as well. And we'll read down to probably say close here to the, the first section. When she had said this, which she had just confessed in verse 27, that she believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God is coming into the world. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, you might underline that, that's kind of interesting. Why does she say it in private? Some of your Bible translations say secretly. And what does she say? The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Uh, backlog, if you haven't caught on to this or you're new to us today, uh, Lazarus, the guy who Jesus loves, has fallen ill. He's actually died. Jesus loves him so much, he delays to go see him. That's confusing. Yes. And so he does. And then when he goes, um, we realize that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Mar Mary and Martha, the sisters of this guy named Lazarus, um, Martha wants to go see Jesus. Mary stays in the house. And so Martha's now gone back to talk to Mary, and she says, listen, he's calling for you. And it says this, and so she went with him, verse 30, now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now that, you wonder what's going on. Jewish culture, we'll talk about this, have a big um, focus on mourning and weeping with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. They would assemble groups of people, almost kind of like professional mourners or weepers, people who could comfort people who needed comfort. And they would spend time with them. They would make sure they weren't alone. There's a lot of practical reasons why they did that. This group is watching her. And I think Jesus is giving this invitation um, to Mary to come and meet him outside of the village, because everywhere Jesus goes, he's so influential, you're not going to have this moment that he really wants to speak. And I find that encouraging, because Jesus knows Mary's heart is broken. She, she, he knows it because she never came out with Martha to go see Jesus when he was traveling. And yeah, so he's giving this invitation to speak to her. I, I can feel it. It feels good to know this is the heart of our Lord. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, one of your easiest Bible verses to memorize in all of Scripture. It's two words. Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, here's your pessimistic person that's always there. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So let's talk about this this section. Let's clear this section before we go forward here. She went to her and secretly tells her sister Mary, hey, there's some things that God wants to do. And he, she says, the teacher, and I think it's important to notice this word, um, the term, um, the teacher, because she's pointing out something. The rabbi, who Jesus is a referred by other rabbis as the rabbi. That's why people think he's a good teacher. Jesus claims to be much more than a good teacher, and Scripture proves Jesus to be more than a good teacher. However, the teachers of Jesus' day, the other rabbis, they didn't talk to women. And Jesus already shows a new and better way. He is asking to speak to this woman to instruct her. And notice what she does. She doesn't stick around too long kind of questioning or doubting. She realizes this is almost a command to obey. And so she knows who Jesus is. There is respect and honor for him. And so she quickly goes and responds. Mary wasted no time in going to Jesus. And there's this phrase she says, in the text, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, we also know that Martha had said something similar in chapter 11 and verse 21. In chapter 11, verse 21, Martha traveled to see Jesus and his traveling to them. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why does Mary and Martha say the same thing? And I want you to think about this. As a pastor, I have a look into this often. Um, what will happen if somebody loses a loved one as the family comes together? There's a time where they need to do that. And, if, and what I want to do usually as a pastor is I want to drop into that moment. I want, if they're going to get together like that, I want to be there. And you know what it's like to sit in that kind of room? What they're doing is they're sitting around and they're trying to think of the good memories. They're trying to relive what happened. They're trying to think about, could they have done anything different? Is it anybody's fault? They're trying to process things and they're crafting in their own head and and, and collectively language to grieve together. They're, they're putting a language together to grieve together. And, and they may not even be able to say this, but if they're believers, they're trying to figure out how to grieve with hope because that's what believers do. We grieve too. We lose people, it hurts. We lose things we love, it hurts. And so we're trying to find language. We're trying to get together and in communal ways figure out like what is really going on. And I think it's likely that they had said this to each other several times over. If Jesus would have been here. If Jesus just would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And I think that's why you see Martha say it. I think that's why you see Mary come and Mary say it. And so we see in this text here, this first section that we're clearing in verses 33 down to 38, is this idea that if a deeply moved Jesus comes to the tomb, he sees her weeping, the grief and tears of Mary and Martha, and they move Jesus. God sees the tears of the grief-stricken, love people that he cares about. 
and he's moved with compassion. What do we take away from this room? Let me tell you what we take away. God sees our tears. He sees your tears. He, he looks at them and he sees it. And not only does he see it, he is touched by our tears. When you see somebody literally sobbing, what is the thing that we do? We're touched and, 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 and we want to move to action, but sometimes you don't know what action to take. And I'm going to tell you right now, you need to avoid cliche Christian phrases that you've heard. Don't say this. Please don't say, I saw someone share this this week and I liked it. Don't say, just pray about it. Like, that's not going to just immediately take, we can pray, but don't toss these things out. Jesus doesn't do this, does he? He doesn't get there and say, well, let's just pray about this for a minute. You know what he does? He is touched by it and he cries too. And not only this, God remembers our tears. The scriptures talk about this. God acts to dry our tears. We know that he's preparing a place for us, he says in John 14. Um, We'll get there eventually. And we also know that he is going to prepare that place for us. We also know that in this place, this new heaven, this new earth that we as all creation and, 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 and all people are longing to be a part of, he says this, I will wipe away every tear from their eye. You know what I think God's saying? I am tired of watching those who were created in my image go through such sorrow. It has grieved me too. In fact, I put myself in place to be stricken with grief so that I could identify with you so that you would know you are never alone and I get you and I understand you. I am God Almighty and I am present. There we go. The button says, preach it, brother. I don't know. Someone recorded that. This is a new thing we've got going now. People are sneaking in. This is my amen button if you're new. And if, if I need it, I just have to go to it. Because this is what he's doing. I find energy here. Uh, the Jews, um, they, they, they came weeping because, like we talked about, these professional grievers, and they, they see her. Now, I want to point out that Jesus is greatly moved, but he's not out of control. The same word for the people that had showed up to weep, in the same way that Jesus is weeping are different. All right? One is like a sobbing, and one is a deep-rooted one. Now, you're like, well, what does that mean? I think it means this. There are some people that are there, and they're connecting emotionally. Jesus is connecting emotionally, but also with truth. You know what he also knows he's about to do? Tell that joker to wake up. That's what he's about to do. He's like about to resurrect him. And, and, and that, in my mind, you know, just makes me step back and pause and think for a second. But before he does that, he's, in the text says, groaned in the spirit and is troubled. It's more accurate to say this. Jesus is crying, but I'm going to tell you what he's also thinking about. This makes me get excited as a man. Jesus is angry. The best way, one commentator says it, he says, it is more accurate when he is groaning in the spirit and he is troubled as he is weeping, he is groaning and that groaning is more accurate to say that Jesus was angry and Jesus was angry and troubled at the destruction and the power of the great enemy of humanity. And this is what he says, death. I think death grieves the heart of Jesus. And I think it because he knows he's going to lay his life down. He's going to raise his life up. He knows this, that only in him 
people can have life. He realizes everything about life, but then to understand everything about life, you have to understand everything about death. Let me say that again. That was Holy Spirit. To understand everything about life, you have to understand everything about death. Remember, we talked about you're not prepared to live till you've prepared to face this idea that everyone's going to face, which is death. And Jesus is now coming to give hope to people. Calvin says it this way. John Calvin says, Christ does not come to the sepulcher as an idle spectator, but like a wrestling, a wrestler preparing for the contest. Therefore, no wonder that he groans again for the violent tyranny of death, which he had to overcome, stands before his eyes. You know what I think he's grieving for? He's grieving because he realizes this has plagued man always. And Jesus promised his coming, or God promised his coming, God the Father, Son, and Spirit in Genesis, I will crush the head of the serpent. And what do we find? Jesus is God the Son made flesh. Not only this, Jesus wept. There's so many aspects to these two words. He wept. He comes to this encounter. He is moved in his spirit. He is angry because he sees what is going on and how he hates what this has done to humanity. And he weeps. I'm going to tell you what I think that this refers us to. First of all, Jesus is truly a man. He's a man. And he's crying. I think it's okay for men to weep, by the way. I always heard, I don't know, whoever said this, and they need to be hurt in a non-lethal way. Real men don't cry. That is a load of malarkey. Real men do cry. There may be no sin or shame in our tears. Sometimes we have people that are crying in the sorrow of their sin, and they understand things like this. Listen, just because someone's crying doesn't mean they're messed up or that they have messed up. Godly people cry too. Godly people that are in step with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus is, cry too. That's an amen button. Jesus is acquainted with grief. He is acquainted with grief. He identifies. I think sometimes we think of Jesus as this unrelatable just figure of divineness, which really he is. But yet at the same point, he is the high priest who is identified with us, as the Hebrew says, in every way that we have been tempted and yet is without sin. He is our great high priest. He also, Jesus is not ashamed of his humanity. He's not afraid to see and face Mary and Mar- Martha's brokenness, to understand how they're trying to grieve. They, he identified with others in sorrow. He loves people. Spurgeon says this about this. He says, sometimes we are told that if we really believed that our friends would rise again, that they are safe and even happy now, we, we could not weep. He's like, you know, some people will say that. And he says, why not? Jesus did. And this is the way I like the rest, the last of his quote says this. There cannot be any error in following where Jesus leads the way. There cannot be any error in following where Jesus leads the way. If Jesus confronts their heart with honesty and openness, if Jesus sees their grief and grieves with them, we are doing no wrong by doing likewise. 
I believe it is okay and even necessary at times to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. I also want to say this about this, just a little parenthetical thought, pastorally, it's free of charge. Beware of the church. Because I understand I may not always be your pastor. You may go somewhere else, whatever. Beware of the church that refuses to be vulnerable or real and honest. Beware of that. If it looks like the smiley club of, how are you doing? Blessed better than I deserve, brother. Amen. Good to see you. Praise God. Amen. Hi, brother. And everybody's brother, brother, bliss and brother. And it's like if Hulk Hogan is their pastor, hey, brother, you know, like there's just all this stuff's going on and nobody ever is sorrowful. No one ever has an opportunity to say, not good. I'm not doing good. Then you need to beware of that church. They are missing the heart of Jesus. It is okay to tell us how you're doing here. And don't you fake it up for me. I was sitting this week with someone who was weeping about situations in their life. And they're wanting to patch things up. And I watched this person get real honest at the, there's this moment, real honest with me. And I said, have you thought about showing this person this? Like you like this? And then quickly, eyes dry. Nobody wants to see this. You're not. Nobody in church acts like this. I understand nobody at your church acts like this. But church is supposed to be like this. Guys, if you can't be vulnerable here, then I fear you'll be vulnerable with the world that doesn't have the hope of Jesus. Let's be vulnerable where the hope of Jesus is present. So that I don't have to go open my can of worms with someone that don't even have the answer for the worms. That was a weird illustration. Parenthetical thought over. Some of Jesus' naysayers, always a naysayer. We can have like a great day. You could do something amazing. You have a group of people we sit down with. How did that go? Man, I'll tell you what, and all the positive people, all the lead camps in the room, glass is always half full. I'm like, I'll tell you what, man, this was good, this was good. And then there's always this one person, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? These, but I will say this, I don't know how those words were. Maybe they weren't said that way. Maybe they were said a different way. In fact, one guy even says he thinks that these words are genuine, could be genuine sorrow and sympathy. Problematic. But Spurgeon reflects on this and he says, suppose that Jesus is willing to open the eyes of the blind men and he does open them. Is he therefore bound to raise this particular dead man? If he does not see fit to do so, does that prove that he has not the power? If he lets Lazarus die, is it proven that therefore that he could have not saved his life? May there not be some other reason? Does not omnipotence always exert its power? Does it ever exert all of its power? You know what he's questioning? He's like saying, we're not God. And at no point will you ever think you can understand Him. He in fact makes this clear through Isaiah. My ways are not your ways, man. My thoughts are not your thoughts. In fact, if you need an illustration, as high as the heavens are above the earth, brother, 
That's how far this is between you and me. However, we know that God is good. God cares. God confronts grief and things. But can I just say something else? Practical? Lazarus, we're about to read something powerful happens. But let me tell you what also happened. He died another day. Did you know that Mary is alone at the cross of Christ? And there's John, the writer of this gospel that's there. But you know who's not there? Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Did you know that Jesus saw Joseph pass away and didn't resurrect him? I mean, if Jesus, you go, what's going on here? Jesus identifies with loss. He identifies with grief. And he's not in this business of resurrecting these every person he meets that dies because he realizes he will die a death and raise his life back up from the grave on the third day. So then everyone who believes in him will live in eternity with him. That is his greater mission at hand. And so there's things that we see practical here. So let's keep reading. Look at verse uh, 38. And then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Okay, I don't know about you, but this feels like you're starting that old broke down truck that doesn't sometimes start. You're kind of like, has this been done before? No. Does it really work this way? I don't know. He is cranking the engine here, and we're going, is he really going to walk out? But verse 44, the man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Scene here, room two, Jesus commands the stone to be removed. He says, if you believe, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. He was fully capable of this miracle without the faith of Mary and without the faith of Martha. Can we just lay something aside? The name it, claim it part of theology that says God didn't answer something because you didn't have enough faith. That's not biblical. There are places where God moves when people don't have faith. There are moments when God overwhelms people. And then there are cases where God did respond because people had faith. Sometimes they had little faith. Sometimes they had a lot of faith. Sometimes they had no faith. So I just want to lay that to rest for us. But this, this is interesting. They could see the end result and be happy in that. But they would miss the glory of the working together with God in the fulfillment of His plan. Um, I was having a good combo yesterday with a guy from church. And we were talking about how does God's will work? Do you have to respond, you know, in action for it to happen? 
or will it happen whether you respond in action or not? That was the question. And we kicked the can for about an hour and a half about it. And the thing that I find interesting about this, though, we came down to a long conversation, but I did say this. At one point, I said, I think you see cases where God works in light of men and women, and I think you see cases where God works in spite of men and women. In other words, there's overruling. And as we kind of came around to this, I think this is pointing to us, and I think it's come back to this text with familiarity here. We, do we want God to work through us and in light of us? Yes. That's what we're, we're striving for. Why? Because it's an invitation that he's giving these people as well. I want you to see and not miss this and come in and, and not miss the glory of working together with me at something. Room three that I wanted to point out of the text we just read, Jesus prays at the tomb. And we see that Jesus dealt with Martha according to steps deliberately intended to stretch and build her faith. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this way. Jesus gives her a promise. He gives her this promise back in chapter 11 uh, when he says in verse 24, um, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, honey, now that's me. Jesus didn't say honey, but I think it fits better. Makes him real Southern. Honey, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I do believe this. He's given her a promise. He's drawing attention to himself. And then he called upon her to confess that faith. And then he called her to act on her faith. Can I just say it this way? You and I, no matter how developed you feel like you are, are still being molded. Even Mark Horn, you know, one of our elders, a man who I admire deeply, respect, that man is being molded even today. There's not a person that has arrived in full, full faith. You know what the scripture says is we're being changed by glory to glory. Something glorious is happening right now in your life, whether you realize it or not, if you're a child of God, and he's leading you to something else that's even glorious than that. And then when you get to that, it becomes this. And so you're seeing something glorious going on in your life, whether you're seeing it or not. And then he changes. This is what he says. You're, you're changing glory to glory, man. God is doing something. He is on the move. He's not passive. So he leads her through this process. And then he lifted up his eyes, which I think is interesting because that's the tr traditional posture of prayer. I would love to see that we understand that we don't put prayer in a box. Um, most often, Baptist church, you know, what, what we do is, uh, hey, we're going to pray together, so let's all bow our head and close our eyes. And it's still, it's quiet. Then you have some more Assembly of God Pentecostal brothers in the kingdom, and I love it because they get a little more rowdy. And you know when they're there, because when you're in a prayer meeting, like I, if I need to figure out who everybody is in denominationally, all I got to do is just start praying with them. Because if you are Baptist, you're going to shut your mouth and listen. And if you're not, you're going to start speaking in here a little bit. And I love that. I love a little talking in on it. I love a little, yes, Lord. Yes, I'm coming with him right here, God. What he just said, I'm with him. Come on, Jesus, can we? Please? 
You know, I'm like, that's my spirit. Like, I'm hearing you, and I'm agreeing with you. It's like me singing my favorite song on the radio, but I don't quite know it, but I sort of know it, and I'm following the lyrics, right? Like, let it go, let it go, right? You know, we could sing that song. I'm following the words, and I'm coming in agreement with you. Why? Because that's what Scripture tells me to do. You know how Jesus prays? This will blow every Baptist breaker. Father God, I thank you that you hear me. And I'm praying all this on account of everyone standing here with me so they could see that you've sent me. Rose, Lazarus, get out of here. <laughs> I love it. Baptists have to even clarify. All right, hold on. We're going to pray together. Um, Joey, you will pray first. Okay, Jimmy, you'll pray second. Uh, Bob, you'll pray third. And Robert, you'll pray fourth. When y'all are all done... I'll close us in prayer. Agreed? Okay, great. And so it's like, why do, why do we act this way? I'm making fun of a little bit because I want us to understand prayer is a call to action. It is, it is not in a box. Jesus models this for us. And in all these things, he is moving. And then lastly here, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This unbelievable thought happens here. Romans 4, 17 connects to this when he says that Jesus spoke to a dead body as if, and this is not what Romans 4 talks about, but it relates to it, as if Lazarus were alive because he is God. And here's Romans 4, 17. He who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's what he's doing. I am calling this to existence as though it exists, even though it doesn't. That's the kind of God we have. So how does the people react? Let's read these last verses. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> they know it's working. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. But he, he did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went out from their region into the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. And that's where we pause today. Let me say it this way. Two reactions. Hey, some people hear it, and they believe in him. They're like, that was absolutely powerful and fantastic. I told you, you're like ribbing Johnny over here. John, hey, hey, I told you. you. Jesus does some serious stuff, man. That's what's going on. Some people are literally getting out their Instagram and taking pictures, if it was our day, tagging. Dude, guy in grave clothes, walking, pretty cool. Some people are sending out things, text messages. People are freaking out. But then two... You have the worry of the religious leaders. This man is going to tump over 
everything we hold dear, and we've got to stop him. And they are saying these things, by the way, prophetically, because these things are necessary for Christ to die at just the right time. Caiaphas, go do what you do, buddy. That's what Jesus is more gesturing. You go do what you do. What does he tell Judas? Judas is about to, he's at the, 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 the last supper, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. He even gives him a little prophetic whisper, doesn't he? And not only that, then Judas comes with those people that he had just sold out Jesus for in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, no, 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 Peter. <laughs> and takes that dude's ear. After Peter took that dude's, dude's ear off. And there's this story account where the guy was like, you ain't taking my Jesus. And he takes this guy's ear off. And Jesus, calm down, Peter. Let me put that ear back on. As if that happens every day. You cut my ear off. We're going to the ER. I need pain pills. And you're going to have to sew this back on. If you're Jesus, you just put it back on. And then he says, all right, go ahead and do what you're going to do, boys. As if you're in charge, but I'm really in charge. He already told them, I'll lay my life down when I lay it down. What do we take away from this text? I pray that I've done a good job helping you understand it. What do you, why is this in the Bible? That's the question, right? You know this account now. We've talked about it. What is the point? Let me give you three takeaways and we'll close. First of all, I believe you're to experience belief in Jesus as the Son of God so that you may have life. I believe we are all meant to, John says at the end of his gospel, he has written these things so that you would believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the promised one who is coming to redeem people, and by believing in him, you would have life. You know what that acknowledges, by the way? If you have yet to believe in Jesus and turn and trust him to be your Lord and Savior, you have yet to really see what life is all about. And the invitation is that you're not living. And the invitation would say this, Scripture tells us that before Christ, Lee Kemp and everyone else who's yet to trust Christ are dead in our sins. And even if we think we're going to clean ourselves up and kind of church our way there, Jesus makes it clear like in passages like Matthew 7 that he will say to many religious people, depart from me, I never knew you. And John even writes and he says, listen, if you love Jesus, you obey his commands, you do what he says, you honor him, you love him, you fear him. If you have yet to experience God relationally, that's what you're meant to experience from this text. To see it and marvel that there is a Savior who can look at a dead man and say, hey, knock it off. Come out. That's powerful. Number two, to see the example of Jesus and what it looks like to be fully human. To do the first thing that we just talked about, you got to be God. God in flesh. That's what Jesus is. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. Can I explain that? Here we go. Hypostatic union. Go Google that. There's your $64 word. But if you don't want to understand what that means, no, we can't. That's really what it is. We had to come up with a word like that to explain it. No, we can't explain it. But here's where I can't explain it. John 11. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And by the way, can I just say this? People that were not like Jesus liked Jesus because they were seeing the full picture of what it looks like in him. They had people they knew that were human, and we're humans, and we know other humans. But 
I feel like there are people who we know in humanity that have yet to really fully express humanity. This idea in the South that men don't tell their boys, I love you. I'm going to tell you right now, I put that in the same wish I could stomp on the feet of the people that say real men don't cry, and I wish I could stomp on the feet that said people that say, and real men don't say I love you. I grew up in my life all the way to adulthood, never hearing my dad say I love you. And then one day, my dad was going to have a heart procedure. And I remember, um, I was probably in high school at this point, so maybe not, a, well, I guess you could call that adulthood, maybe young adulthood, right? I, I'm in high school, my dad's about to have this procedure, and I looked at him and I said, it was pretty risky, and I said, Dad, I love you. Right when the bed's going out of the room, and he stopped, and he's like, I love you too, and he started crying. And ever since that day, my dad and I said, I love you all the time. It was like a breakthrough of like something he always wanted to say but never said. And even more interesting than that is it opened us up emotionally to connect to each other at a deeper human level in so many ways. My brother comes home. I have a half-brother who's eight years older than me. And he came home one time because, you know, he, he's out there doing things. And he comes in and he sees me and dad doing that with each other. And then he even starts telling him, hey, I love you. And my brother was like, what's wrong with our dad? What is wrong with him? And I was like, dude, he understood what it means to face death, and he understood what it means to live. And he's trying to live it out more fully now, so he'll tell you he loves you. Do you live as a full human? Do you, do you hide back something because you've been told that it's not good to express that? It's not masculine? I don't know how you get any more masculine than Jesus. Lastly, live out an expectant faith that God is going to do what he said he will do. There it is. Honey. Remember, I put honey in front of that statement because it feels more southern. Honey, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that People in me are going to have these things. And what is her confession? Yes, I do. I do believe it. And she doesn't even understand it, but she believes it. And then she sees it played out. And all he's been doing is what he said he was going to do back at the beginning of chapter 11. I'm going to do this. He's not going to die. He will live. And all who believe in me will live too. And they're like, yeah, I know, but he died, Jesus. That's pretty good. We do believe in you, but we don't understand it. And he's like, well, if you don't understand it, let me make it clear. Lazarus, come out here. And in that moment, boom, revival breaks off into their heart. Can I just say this? God has made promises to you and me too. And at times, it feels like it's something very similar to Lazarus dying and being in a tomb for four days. You think an idea is dead, gone, and forgotten. You forget and you think, man, I don't know how God will take care of me and how he'll take care of us as we move in faith to do this. Yet God has made promises in Matthew 6. God has made promises in 1 Peter 5 in his word that he cares for us. He has made promises in Matthew 11 where he says, come to me, O one, you are weary and have you laden, I will give you rest. There are places littered that's why you should know the scriptures. That's why you got to read this book, man. And all these things he has said, even more important, prophetically in Revelation. 
we believe this stuff, then cling to your hope. Cling to your confession. Let the Lord build you up. Let Him stretch out your faith just like He stretched out Martha's faith. He gave her that promise and then He led it into action. Listen, the Lord has given you promises. God's Word is special. God's Word is without any error. And it has a lot to say about everything that pertains to godliness and life. Lean into these things. Let me come to the most important one on that takeaway. Do you really know Christ? I mean, like, do you talk to him? Would, do you hear his voice? Uh, is this, is it, or is it just a one-sided thing and it's kind of like you're paying homage to some holy being, but does that holy being have a relationship with you? Do you talk to him? Do you have heart for things that he has a heart for? Do you find yourself at times praying without ceasing and having this ongoing conversation where you feel like, man, I'm walking with the Lord? Have you ever turned and trusted him? And confessed your need for Him to be your personal Lord and Savior. Dude, if not, this is it. This is the invitation to life. Let's pray together. If you're here and you've never prayed through that, can I help you? Right there where you sit in this moment. If you feel like, man, I need to experience this. I want to Jesus. Then right there where you are, Just say it to him in prayer from your own words. Lord, I realize you love me. I realize you've loved me deeper than I could ever understand. And the best I know how, God, I am turning from my ways to your ways. I am trusting you, Lord, to move in my heart, to change my life, God. I want to know you and experience you every day. Change me, Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, which means so be it. If you've not done that, that is where it starts. But then it, it, doesn't, it doesn't terminate there. It moves on. And so, Father, I pray for believers. If they're here today, they've, they've made this confession, Lord, yet we still are not really expressing ourselves in full humanity. We push our emotions in a box. We try to clean up our life and act like everything's okay when everything's not okay, God. And Lord, you're the one that's telling us just cast our cares to you, to open up to you, to confess our need and to go and to talk to other brothers and sisters in our faith communities, Lord, and pour up our heart for them and all of us weep together and rejoice together and be together. And yet, God, we just, we close off, we clam up. God, I pray that you would open up people's hearts today. That they would not conceal and hide things that they need help with. Father, I pray for believers and all of us here today to realize you're going to do what you said you're going to do. That's what you did in chapter 11. And we have chapters in our own life here today, God. There are things that people are going through in these specific chapters. And Lord, I pray that we won't give up, that you will be faithful to your promises. We can experience a real move of your heart. So Lord, simply have your way. In Jesus' name.